I get to do something very, very exciting. Hunter already uh, hinted at this for just a moment, but uh, I am excited to introduce. We have a guest with us. In fact, a couple guests with us this morning. Um, I'm going to introduce them, and I'll bring them up here in just a second. But Pastor Keith Irkwood and his wife, Miss Gladys, are here all the way from Hurley, Mississippi. And if you don't know where, where Hurley, Mississippi is, you are not alone. Uh, <laughs> But it is, it is down on the coast. Uh, they drove up yesterday about six hours to be with us. Pastor Keith recently uh, retired, handed off his church, Magnolia Springs, where he served faithfully for 13 years, an amazing church down there. Before that, they were in Houston ministering. We're, we're talking about a man who has been in ministry coming up on 50 years. In a generation, in a world where we see so many leaders fall, where we see so many people start the race, but not finish the race. It is an honor to welcome a man and a woman who have been faithfully serving Jesus, faithfully pouring into people for 50 years. A legacy of faith. A legacy of people who will miss hell and make heaven because of these people's ministry. It is such an honor to host them today. I have seen the notes. There is a message from God for you today. I am telling you, if you don't ever take notes, if you come in and just coast through my messages, today is not a day to coast through. Today is today. Hopefully you got a notepad and a pen and a Bible and you're ready. Note takers are history makers. But if you don't, get your phone out. Put it on airplane mode so you're not distracted because God wants to speak to you. You don't need to hear from all those other people. You need to hear from God this morning. Get your phone out, put it on airplane mode, take some notes, because God's going to speak. He's going to give you a word through Pastor Keith. So, church, would you join me in welcoming Pastor Keith and Ms. Gladys? Would you stand and welcome them with us? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So honored to have you guys. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you so much. We are Keith and Gladys Kirkwood, U.S. missionaries working under church mobilization for church help. But one thing we found out is over 50 years of ministry that no church can be any healthier than its leadership. If the pastor is not healthy, if the leadership is not healthy, the church is not healthy. And so one of the reasons that pastors um, burn out, leave the ministry, is because that they don't have people among them people around them who are partners in ministry, not just helpers in ministry. We can get a lot of people to pick up the chicken, set up the tables, teach a Bible class, but to partner with us in ministry with the vision and the burden that God has put on our heart uh, is a very special thing. And so we, um, we are in the business of helping churches mentor ministry leaders for effective ministry in their community for changing their world for Jesus Christ and uh, leaving a legacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their families and in their communities. And so we are, we're happy to be here today to share that with you. I have my special little girlfriend with me today. And I just want to say how thankful we are uh, for the partnership of City Church <laughs> with our ministry. Um, we do still need businesses and individuals. Uh, churches to partner with us on a monthly basis in order to reach our budget that U.S. Missions has set for us. And we're getting close, so, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, but most of all, we need prayer. We need prayer support. And um, I brought one of our little, I call this our prayer mugs up here today. Um, 
the enemy hates what we do. Because if he can get the leaders, if he can get the pastor, he's got the church, the sheep scatter. So we really need prayer. So I would love for every one of you who can to take one of these mugs home with you today. They're only $10. And it will remind you when you drink your coffee or your tea or whatever you choose to drink, it'll remind you to pray for us because we, des- we really desire your prayers. And I brought a few uh, items from our table out front up here. Uh, quick, I'll mention those real quickly. This book, it's hard for us to keep on the table. It's called Devil Proof Your Family. And we usually always sell all of that. That's a great one. And then Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Chambers. Uh, John Maxwell said, no other book has influenced my life the way this one has. If you're in any kind of leadership or desire to be in leadership, this is a great book. And then we have a, a spirit-empowered uh, spirit empowered church out there. We've got some CDs. Now, I know people don't use CDs much. They don't have CD players. But I know some of you young people know how to download it so that you can use it. But this is great teachings. This one I brought up is Culture Wars. There's seven discs in here. And it talks about world values and the world uh, kingdom versus God's values in God's kingdom. So there's some other great teachings out there. God bless you. Uh, we're so excited to be here today. Thank you, girlfriend. She's been riding shotgun with me for um, a long time. In <laughs> hey, fact, yesterday was her birthday. Yeah. yeah. She's, uh, my mother is 93, and um, she's, been, she's been real sharp. My dad was a pastor, and mother was, has been real sharp all these years. Um, but over the last couple of years, she started um, losing a little bit of that clarity. And <clears throat> I shouldn't have done it, but um, I didn't think about it. I didn't realize what I was doing when I first said it. But anyway, she called to, to wish Gladys a happy birthday. And I, I said, yes, she's, she's, she's going to be 62 today. And uh, my mother said, isn't that hard to believe that she's 62 years old? Well, she's not 62. And uh, and so we've been laughing about that ever since. I, she said, you didn't correct her. You didn't. I said, no, she'd never remember it anyway. So don't why, why do it. So <clears throat> thank you for being here this morning. And I'm going to do my best to stay within my time frame. What, what I have on my heart to share with you today will take about a week to do. And uh, And so... I don't want to abuse you, but I do want to share with you what I believe God has put on my spirit. I was awakened this morning a little after 3 o'clock, spent the rest of the evening, the rest of the night or the morning, uh, wrestling in my spirit for this service today. I truly believe that you're here in this room, and those of you who are watching uh, digitally today, I, I, I believe that you're here on purpose, uh, for a purpose. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but God created you on purpose for a purpose. You're not an accident. I don't care how tragic the rape may have been. I don't care how, how unwanted you may have felt in your home, in your, in your house. God created you on purpose. 
for a purpose. And I want to talk to you this morning about what I, a message that I call transition to destiny. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to stand before this audience once more today and, and share with them what I believe that you put in my spirit. And I ask you, Lord, to help me to be able to speak with clarity. Let me be able, Lord, to just speak succinctly. Let, me, let it be able to, to cut through the chase and just get to the point and minister to this house today what you have put in my spirit. I believe that this day can be a day of transformation for somebody. And so I ask you today to help me to do my part, for I know the Holy Spirit will do his part, but I must give him something to use. And so would you help me today and open the hearts of the people that they might receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. It had been 20 years since he crossed this, this stream. The first time he crossed this stream called Jabbok, he had been carrying nothing but the clothes on his back and a staff in his hand. He was fleeing from his brother who had sworn that he would kill him when daddy passed. Because you see, this man's name was Jacob, and Jacob was called a deceiver because he was a man who all of his life it felt like there was something more for him than he had ever experienced before. Something more in life, something out there that he had not been able to touch yet or reach yet. In fact, the Bible says that when he and his twin brother were in the womb before they were born, they were struggling together. Now, that word that's translated struggling in many, many, many of your English translations is a, is a Hebrew word that means more than just tussling. It means to crush or to oppress. These boys were fighting in their mother's womb. And the reason I believe that that was true is because that even in his mother's womb, God had placed something in this man that would be called Jacob that was striving for something he didn't have yet but was seeking to find. In fact, God said when his mother was, became so concerned about the trouble that was going on and the distress that she was feeling, and she went to God and said, if everything is okay, then why am I feeling like this? What's going on with me? And God said, there's going to be two people who will be separated from your body. One will be stronger than the other, and the, and the, young, uh, the older will serve the younger, which was backwards to the way things were done in those days in the family. Normally, the eldest was the one who received the family patriarchy. He received the bulk of the family wealth. He was the one who called the shots. He was the boss. But in this case, God said, before these boys were ever born, the older will serve the younger. There was something in Jacob that God designed in him that caused him to know that there was something more in his life than he had ever had before, something he was seeking, something he was striving for that began before he was born in the mother's womb, wrestling and stretching and grasping for something he didn't have. There are some of you who are sitting in this room, some of you who are listening to me over internet that are in that condition today. You found yourself reaching for something that you didn't know something you don't have, something you've not arrived at, something you've not been able to acquire or attain, but there's something that drives you. There's a restlessness in you that keeps you always pushing forward and striving for something more. Some people bounce from one job to another, from one relationship to another, one marriage to another, one, one state to another, one house to another, one friend to another, one church to another, trying to find what it is that they're missing. What they haven't learned yet is the same thing that Jacob hadn't learned. That what God has promised you in the spirit, you will never be able to ascertain in the flesh. 
It is a spiritual gifting. It is a spiritual provision. And so when Jacob began to try to find ways to get what God promised him in the, in the spirit, that the older would serve the younger, that he would be the one with the birthright, he would be the one with the patriarchy, he would be the one who would lead the household and the family. He began to try to do that in the flesh. You can read that in the book of Genesis, chapter, beginning with about number chapter 25 or so and on through. You can read that for yourself. But don't do it right now. I'm preaching to you. Amen. <laughs> so as he crossed that first time and went into a place called Padan Aram, it was in Mesopotamia, it would be in what is northern Iraq today. And he spent, for the next 20 years, he married two wives. He had 11 sons. He, he was, became very wealthy with flocks and herds and, 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 and so forth. And he came back at the direction of God. God spoke to him and said, I want you to go back to your homeland, the place of the promise that I gave to your father, your grandfather, Abraham. I want you to go back to that place. Because you see, there's a place in God. There's a place that God has for you that if you don't go to that place, if you're not faithful to that place, the blessings of God cannot flow into your life and, and come to you in the way that God wants them to. Because here's the truth. Blessings are only released in the stream of obedience. And when you walk in the, in the, in the obedience to God, blessings are released in your life. And so Abraham, Abraham had been given that promise. Isaac, who was Jacob's father, had been given that promise. And now God had re, reaffirmed it in Jacob's life. But God said, I want you to go back to the place. It, 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 it entailed that little piece of property, that little piece of land that we know today as the nation of Israel on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And so Jacob got his family together. He got all of his flocks, his herds, and all of his, all of his wealth together. And they began that trek back across the Gilead Mountains toward the little nation that we know today as Israel. It was called Canaan in those days. As he neared that, that place, there's a, there's a river that on the east side of Israel that's called Jordan. And about 40 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, there's a stream. Not lo no longer called this today, but it is still there. And the stream in those days was called Jabbok. It came crashing down out of the jagged mountains of Gilead and hit the, the fertile valley of the Jordan River. It smoothed out and, and flowed into the Jordan. And right along in there, there was, a, there was a ford where caravans and travelers crossed. When Jacob brought his family to that spot, he heard that his brother Esau, who had promised to kill him when father died because of the tricks he had played on him and the underhanded dealings he had had with his brother Esau and had stolen from him not only the birthright but his father's patriarchal blessing, which, perm which permitted him to gain the, the patriarchy and the, and the leadership of the house and the bulk of the wealth. So Esau was coming with 400 men, they said. His scouts brought back the word, 400 men are coming with Esau. And it scared him. He became afraid. Here's what, here's what I want to share with you today. Anytime you start to move from where you are to where God has designed you to be, you'll always come to a place like Jabbok. It's a place of transition. It's a place of crossing. It's a place of change. It's a place of metamorphosis. It's a place where that your, fat, your past passes away and your future springs up before you. Jacob came to this place called Jabbok. And there, as he heard that his brother was coming with 400 men, he was afraid, and he sent presents ahead of him to try to appease his brother, to keep him from coming to kill him and the children and the mothers and the, and the people that were with him. 
because he knew his brother was a man of war. After he had sent all the gifts away, according to what I read in the scriptures in chapter 32, the book of Genesis, he set up the camp, put everybody to sleep, put them in the bed. They got in their tents and they went to bed that night. But, but according to what chapter 32 tells us, he got up. It says he arose that night. He arose that night and, and took down the camp, packed all of his people up, and put them on the other side of the river. And then he was left alone by himself that night. Here's what, here's what I want you to understand. Anytime you get ready to move from where you are, and God's calling some of you in this room today. I felt this at 3 o'clock this morning as the Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart that God is moving in this house. God is mo- I've never been here before. I've never preached in this church. I've never met you before. But here's what I know. God hasn't placed you here just to come on Sunday morning and attend a service or to go through some little uh, outreaches in in the community and claim that we're Christians. God has designed you for destiny. There's something in you. There's something in you that God designed, that God placed in you, that you have striven for all of your life but have not been able to find yet. I came to tell you, God sent me here this morning to tell you that it's time for transition to take place in your life. It's time for God to do something special in this house called City Church. Because you see, destiny is not just something that happens for individuals. Destiny happens in the lives of churches. God has a purpose for this church. God has a plan for this ministry. It includes you. And you may, not, you may think you showed up here by accident, that you just happened to arrive here. And this is a good place that you, come, you enjoy coming for the music and the worship and the ministry that take place here. There's something that you've enjoyed. But it's more than you coming to enjoy it. It's God connecting you to a body that he has a purpose for in this city. That he intends to be used for his kingdom purposes. And you're part of that. You're not just here by accident. So Jacob was left alone. This transition has several movements to it. And I want to share with you several of them today, as many as I possibly can get through, because some of you are here. Some of you are in this very place that I'm about to talk about right now. Because here's the first movement that you, the first place you're going to come through. The first step in this journey is what I call uncertainty. Uncertainty. Listen to what it says in Genesis 32 and beginning in verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two servant wives, his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. Now, if you read further, you'll find out that the Bible says that he was left alone. That means that he sent everybody to the other side and he was left alone. Anytime God moves you from where you are to the place he's designed for you, it's very certain that you will feel uncertainty. You will come to a place of uncertainty. At this point, you're not sure what you're supposed to do, where God's taken you or why, why he's brought you to this place. But you have to be careful not to be paralyzed by fear, the fear of uncertainty. Because here's the, here's the dynamic. Uncertainty is the first test that you must pass in the school of faith. Uncertainty is the first test that you must pass in the school of faith. It tests your trust level. If you can't trust God when you don't know what's going to happen next, he can't take you where he wants you to go. 
Because there's going to be plenty of times in your life when you don't know what's ahead of you. You can't see your hand in front of your face. The Bible tells us clearly in this text that Jacob was left alone in the night. It was dark. He couldn't see what was out there. He knew that out there somewhere was his brother Esau with 400 men. And he didn't know what was going to happen when the sun came up in the morning. Some of you sitting in this room right now are at a place in your life where you don't know what's going to happen. You're very uneasy about your future. You're uneasy about the future of this nation. You're uneasy about the condition of our world. And it's very frightening for some, for some people, for many people. The truth of the matter is uncertainty is always a part of this move from where you are now to where God's designed you to be. Destiny in the eyes of the world is an unavoidable fate, something that you have no control over that's going to happen in your life, is going to happen to your life. But in the kingdom of God, you won't find the word destiny in the, in the original King James or the new King James or, or in many of the translations of the Bible. I'm, not, I'm saying it that way because there may be one somewhere that I haven't read that has the word destiny in it. But you won't find it probably in the scriptures. What you will find in the scriptures is the word and the concept of purpose. You have purpose. You have a reason for being. There's a reason you're drawing the next breath. It's a reason that you're sitting in this room today. There's a reason that you're alive. You're not alive just by happenstance. You're not alive just by accident. You're alive because God purposed that. Uncertainty is the first test in the school of faith. It tests your trust level. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 56, 3, Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. The Apostle Peter writes that the purpose of trials is to test our faith as fire tests gold, the genuineness of gold. Uncertain moments and circumstances are tools that God uses to refine our faith in preparation for our next step, the next level in our experience with God. That's true in the life of an individual, true in the life of a church, it's true in a, ministry, in, in a marriage or in a family. Learning to live with uncertainty is a test that qualifies or disqualifies you for the next stage of your move toward your divinely designed destiny. It's through the uncertainties of life that you learn the certainty of God's promise, the validity of the vision that he's put in your heart, the steadfastness of his call. It is in uncertainty that you learn to hang on to the promise, the vision, the call. For Jacob, the promise came in an encounter with God at a place called Bethel. And it was there that God promised Jacob, I will go with you. I will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. We have a friend by the name of Greg Davis. Some of you may recognize the name. He pastored South, uh, in South Haven at Cornerstone Church there for many, many years. Greg Davis has just recently published a book. That book is called uh, uh, Standing Strong in, in Life's Storms. Standing strong in the storm. One of my favorite quotes from that book is this, and I quote, As we follow Christ's example in the toughest days of our lives, we need to allow the certainty of our commitment to obey God's will to override any uncertainty regarding the details of God's plan. It's through times of uncertainty that we have to learn to trust God's word, God's promises, God's plan, trust God's heart. Back in the 1980s, there was a singer-songwriter that was one of my favorites. His name was Andre Crouch. Most of you are too young to even remember him. I feel like I'm preaching to my grandkids today. But Andre Crouch was my favorite. I, I loved Andre. 
I love just preach, uh, his singing. I love just songwriting. He was one of the best writers I knew of back in those days. And he had a song that he used to sing called Through It All. Through It All. It was one of my favorite songs. Because I was going through some tough times in my own life at that point. So he came to Mobile, Alabama, near where we live, and, and for a concert at the city auditorium. And I went to the concert. I'll never forget sitting in that room as he sang song after song. And I kept waiting, wondering, will he sing through it all? That's the song I came to hear. Finally, he began to sing. There's one verse in that song that says this. I thank God for the mountains. And I thank him for the valleys. And I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. And then the chorus goes, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. God's taking you somewhere, church. God's taking you somewhere in his purpose and his plan. And sometimes when you begin that journey, probably the first thing that's going to happen to you is this feeling of uncertainty. You, not know, you don't know what's out there. You don't know where, what the next step's going to be. You don't know what the next answer is going to be. You don't know what's out there. I've, I've heard today a story of how God provided this building for you guys. I mean, just a gift of God. The hand of God is on this place. But it's not just for nothing. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He's taking you somewhere. We don't know what's out there. That, that hand of God, remember that. Talk about it. Record it. Re revel in it. Because you see, there's going to come days when, you, when God will say things to you, this pastor and the leadership of this house, to take steps that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's out there. You can't see the future. But when you make that step, you understand, remember how God supplied your needs in the past and what he's done for you already. Uncertainties will come. That's the first step. The second step is this. It's what I call isolation. Look at verse number 24. It says simply, then Jacob was left alone. He was alone. God often isolates us before he elevates us. It's in isolation that we hear his voice more clearly, learn to know him more intimately. It was in the life of Moses, this great man of God that we think is such a hero, before God moved Moses into his divinely designed destiny he, destiny, he isolated him for 40 years. Later, after he had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses desired to move into a new dimension with God. And here's what he said. He said, I just want to see your glory. And God said, if you want to see my glory, come up on this mountain by yourself. And it was there that Moses experienced God in a way that he had never experienced him before. Before David was elevated to the throne, God had anointed him to possess he was isolated, made to flee and hide in caves and mountain strongholds like a criminal for years. It was in those years of isolation that David came to know God as his shield, as his buckler, as the lifter up of his head. It was in the loneliness of isolation when he longed to see God in his sanctuary that he came to know God in a way he had never known him, simply as the sweet shepherd of Israel. Before Jesus was thrust upon his public ministry, he was driven by the Spirit into the isolation of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. 
God will often take you to a place of isolation before he elevates you. There's a, Bible, there's a disciple in the Bible by the name of John. Anybody remember this guy? John. They call him John the Beloved. He was one of the gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic writers because their, their approach of the writing of the life of Jesus is very similar. John saw Jesus in a way that none of the others saw him. He had an understanding of Jesus and a revelation of Jesus like none of the others. Matthew begins with his genealogy. Luke begins with his birth. And, and Mark begins with his beginning of his ministry as he comes preaching the gospel of, of the kingdom of God down by the river of Jordan. But John starts his gospel in a whole different way. He lays the groundwork in, in a whole different manner. He begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was in the beginning with God. He saw Jesus like none of the others saw him. John was the one that the Bible says that when they were reclining at the dinner table, John laid his head on Jesus' chest. That takes some pretty intimate relationship. To lay your head over on another man's chest. He laid his head on Jesus' chest. He was that close. They were that intimate. And yet, it was on the Isle of Patmos, years later, John the Revelator, John the Beloved, the one that Jesus loved, John on the Isle of Patmos, banished to a penal colony on an island all by himself. That John there, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a voice. Sounds like many waters. Hallelujah. I heard this voice behind me. I turned and there was one clothed down to his feet. Around his waist was a, was a golden girdle. His hair was white like wool. Out of his mouth went a two-edged sword and his eyes were like flaming fire. And I fell at his feet like I was dead. John saw Jesus in a way on the isolation of, 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 the, of the island of Patmos like he had never seen him before. He came to know Jesus in a new way in the isolation of that, of that penal island. But you see, what God is trying to do is change you from who you are now to the person He's designed you to be. Because what you are now and who you are now cannot fit God's plan for your life. God has a purpose. There's a framework. There's a mission. There's a place that God has designed you to be. But in the condition you are now, you can't reach that. So God uses the circumstances of life, the isolation, the uncertainty, the conflicts. He uses the brokenness. Read the rest of that chapter. The brokenness in your life to bring you to a place where that you're shaped and formed so that you can fit the destiny that he has for your life. Butterflies fascinate me. They start out as squiggly, gushy, icky worms. Fuzzy caterpillars that spend their days eating leaves. But there comes a moment when that caterpillar spins for himself, goes into what would be called a cocoon or a chrysalis. He stays there for some time, and depending on the, the, the time he's in there depends on the kind of caterpillar he is. But he stays there for a while, and suddenly he begins to break out and break free of that 
cocoon. And when he comes out, he's not the hairy, icky, squishy worm that he used to be. He begins to stretch his wings. And he'll stretch his wings. And he'll stretch his wings. And finally, he flies off into the air. A beautiful caterpillar. A beautiful butterfly. Not a beautiful caterpillar anymore. He's a butterfly. It amazed me to understand and to learn that while he's in that chrysalis, the caterpillar literally turns to goo. He dissolves and becomes a mush. And from that mush, recreation happens. We call it metamorphosis. It's a transformation that takes place from what he used to be to what God designed him to be. And how long he's in that chrysalis is determined by the kind of caterpillar he is. Some of you have certain individual designs in your life. And some of you are wondering, why have I been going through this so long? Why is this night so long? Why is this struggle so hard? Why is it not over with already? It's because you have to understand that 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 the magnitude of the move that God's trying to take you on determines the intensity of the struggle that you're going through. The kind of caterpillar, excuse me, the kind of butterfly that he wants you to be determines the pressure that you go through and the stuff that you go through. Some of you are going through much harder stuff than I've ever gone through. The reason is because God has a very special place for you, a very special assignment, a purpose in your life that's going to be greater than any of us could imagine. The problem is so many of us abort the baby. We abandon the vision before it ever comes to fruition. And we spend our life just thinking what could have been, what might have been. God didn't design you to live the last years of your life wondering what could have happened, what could have been. God designed you with a purpose. And if you'll allow him to put you in the chrysalis, if you'll allow him to take you to that place of dissolving, becoming something that you are not, Now, that you can fly like the butterfly and enjoy the nectar of the flowers. God made you for a purpose. And some of the hard stuff that you go through is what is designing you and forming you and shaping you. Conflict is often the anvil that God uses to shape you to fit the purpose that he has for your life. Brokenness is the is the is the is the furnace that God puts you through in order to mold you and shape you to fit your future. But we, we hate it. We don't want to do it. So we kick out. We, we leave. We abandon. We give up. We throw up our hands. Because you see, in the kingdom of God, destiny is not unavoidable fate. It's a purpose that God has designed for you that you get to participate in. You can choose to walk in it or you can choose to walk away from it. We are free moral agents. God gave us the right to choose. And the same thing, the same sun that causes some, the same trials that causes some to get hard and bitter is the same trials that causes others to become pliable in the hands of God. So I want to ask you today, why are you here? Are you just going through life trying to make it the best way you can, hanging on and holding on for the best, hoping for the best? Or do you understand God's taking you somewhere? 
And in this darkness that you're going through right now, in this place of despair that you're in right now, in this hard place, this hurtful place, this brokenness that you've gone through, abuse, abandoned relationships, broken relationships, all kinds of things, financial struggles that you've been through, people that have turned their backs on you. All of those things are to design you to be what God created you to be in the first place. He has a purpose for your life. If you're here right now or you're watching us online, if you want to know how to, get, how to go, go there, how do, you, how, do, how do I get to that place? It's all right there in the Bible. And this place called City Church is a good place to discover where you're going and what God has for you to do. But it takes a surrender to God, surrender to Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the carpenter. He was born a carpenter. There's a reason for that because he builds things. He shapes things. He designs things that other people can't see. So I want you right now, right where you are, to bow your heads with me. And I'd like for everybody in this place to pray this prayer with me. 